The Exigent Legal Tech Mashup Podcast is a convergence of differing and opposing points of view that bring together legal operations, commercial, data, and tech. In these lively discussions, we show you how alternative legal service providers, ALSPs, can help transform your organization by leveraging technology and data analytics. Listeners will walk away with an understanding of how this powerful combination can directly impact your bottom line, help you extend the influence of your legal department, and provide you with an understanding of how AI can be leveraged to help identify opportunity and mitigate risk. Our topic for today is expanding the influence and value of your legal department. And our panel is going to broadly touch on you know, three, three areas, um, how to you know, give some insight into how to tap into what's important to the business to expand your legal department's both influence and value, give some insight into what can be done to future-proof your corporate legal department and help to create new value tomorrow that perhaps isn't being created today. And in addition, just explore how to work out that optimal legal services delivery model. To introduce our panel, uh, thank you for joining us. We have Sashana Shields, who's the Director of Legal for Google, Australia and New Zealand. We've got Craig Emery, who's the General Counsel and Executive Legal Business Partner for Legal and Corporate Affairs at Telstra. We've got Richard Damery, who's former Chief Legal Officer and Company Secretary of Woolworths, who's now a consultant and holds various non-executive director and board member roles. We're also joined by Eric Eckhart, who's the Legal Operations Optimization and Analytics Consultant at Exigent, a global legal services and tech provider, as most will be aware. So let's dive straight into it, Craig, if that's okay, and we'll start with you. And it will be interesting to see whether your perspective on this or positions changed since we chatted a, a few weeks ago. But, you know, the Telstra legal team, from my perspective, in our engagement with your team, it seems to be leading the way in a lot of these areas over the last few years. But can you share your insights with us? Yeah, sure, Simon, and hi, everyone on the call. I hope you're all coping well in the extraordinary times we're finding ourselves in. We talked as a panel about this a couple of weeks ago and shared some thoughts about what we'd say, and I'll wager that all of us would probably have a slightly updated perspective on things having lived through the last couple of weeks. Someone said to me the other day, gee, March 2020 has been a long year, and that's a fair observation. And I, I, at the risk of covering or using COVID as a, a springboard, which I suspect many have done today, I do think that's a worthwhile way to start to explore some of these topics because the last three weeks for us has been an extraordinary time by any measure. We, we're a busy legal team most of the time, but when you overlay a crisis like this, which has required us to sort of down tools on a lot of business as usual things and then step up to a range of novel legal issues, which have ranged from continuous disclosure obligations for our board, how we cope with the phenomena of one day having content to sell to customers and the next day not. I mean, for instance, we saw the live pass sporting app and in 48 hours, all of the codes went down. And so we have no content to sell anymore. We lost about 50% of our workforce overnight when the Philippines went down and we lost another chunk when India went down. And that meant that we couldn't serve customers. Unsurprisingly, we've looked very closely at our force majeure obligations. So a whole bunch of legal stuff and our team sort of jumped to it dealt with all of that work in a pretty expeditious fashion. We worked very hard, but we, we kind of got it done. And to me, that's a good example of what most in-house legal teams are when they're at their best and most valuable to an organisation. And it's chaos. Lawyers tend to bring ordered and structured thought 
to the consideration of issues. And as I look through what we did, there's a whole bunch of things that we did incredibly well. So it leads you to think if, if that's us at our best, what more could you do to add even more value? And so I thought I'd explore a couple of topics that, as I look back, and being maybe a bit of a harsh judge, what might we have done better over the last little while and how might that have added even more value to the organisation? There's probably two areas that strike me. Uh, the first is the last couple of weeks have taught me that knowing your data and knowing what data matters to your organisation is absolutely critical. We were pretty lucky. We were able to lay our hands on most of the data we needed in pretty quick time. We, we got a hold of all of our top 50 contracts, for instance. We got a hold of our major supplier contracts. We were able to go through those in pretty short order and drag out the things that we needed. But what was interesting is the things that the legal team measure and that matter to us in the running of our group, they don't really matter to the business in a time of crisis. So, you know, we measure things like how many contracts have we done? How quickly did we do them? And they matter not in a crisis. So the, the importance of having access to data that matters to the business was really, really brought home to me. And I guess, I guess it sort of plays to a macro point. The truly valuable in-house legal departments to me are ones who are in lockstep with the business, who understand deeply what matters to them, and who don't see themselves as some sort of special interest island sitting off to the side. And sometimes you can feel that way because you believe the pressures you face are unique. But ultimately, they're not. They're just pressures that are exactly like those that other parts of the company face. The other thing that I reckon we did reasonably well, but I would have loved to have done a little bit better, was to transition lawyers from their business as usual work over to crisis work really quickly. We got that done and we've had the advantage of working in an agile way for a while. That's how most of Telstra works, it's how our crisis management works. And so we were able to sink in with the way the business was working pretty quickly. But it took us a little bit of time to hand over our business as usual work. And we've got a matter management system that helps us with that, but it took us a couple of days. And I think if we if we were a little bit faster with that, then our delivery of the advice that the business really needed in those moments would have been even slicker than it, than it ended up being. And that to me is probably an area that we could do quite better. And I think it plays to this point of agility being really critical for an in-house legal department in adding value. What you want to do is free yourself up from the day-to-day as much as you can to pivot into the things that matter for the business. And to do that in a way that lets you not just be incredibly reactive to what's in front of you, but to have the space to be a bit proactive and forward-looking about not just what's the crisis issue I'm dealing with now, but what's the next one that's going to come. Because if you can do that, you can be sort of the early warning system for the organisation and avoid being, I guess, kind of the canary in the mine. It's not where you want to be. You want to be the early warning system, but you want to live through it. So those are, those are just a couple of reflections, Simon, that I've had particularly over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, thanks, Craig. That's really valuable insight. And chaos lawyers bring order and considered thought. That resonates with me. That's interesting. So, Shana, we might bring you in and then we'll sort of uh, I'll pick up some questions on what you mentioned, Craig, at the back end. But you're someone who's been recognised for innovation and being really progressive inside the legal departments you've been involved in. And you work inside of Google, which is you know, one of the renowned globally from the outside looking in anyway, um, progressive type organisations. I'd love to get your perspective. 
Yeah, thanks, Simon. One thing I, I picked up on what Craig said that I thought was super interesting, and I agree with it, but I do have an extra spin on it, which is where you said what we measure as a legal team doesn't really matter in a time of crisis. And I was thinking, I agree completely, but what I do think, Craig, is probably relevant is that it probably will matter if you keep measuring it in six or 12 months' time, people will want to know what you were doing in this time of crisis. So I wouldn't stop it, is what I would say. But I completely agree. No one wants to know what that is now, but I actually think it's as critical now as it ever is. But anyway, that was just one thing that I, I thought was really interesting. So for me, I, I, there's, there's two things I want to look at, actually, or think about. And one is, you know, are we in crisis response mode now or is it business as usual mode? And, and how do we balance crisis response and business as usual? And and why are legal operations relevant to that question? So I guess the first thing to say is how does the legal function respond or react to crisis mode? And Craig gave his, you know, some views on that which are very consistent with the way I would say we have handled and managed it as well. But I think the thing that came to the forefront is, you know, first thing is how do you manage your people in crisis mode? So whether it's reallocation of resources, you know, how do you manage the people, how, managing their, their motivation levels, managing, you know, their, their morale during this time. There's a whole range of people management issues that come out from a crisis like this. The second is how do you actually manage the issue? So what's going on when business opportunities are, are not happening anymore or different things have come up that you need to manage? And I guess the final thing is do our systems and processes cater for this? Do we have the systems in place? You know, we're really lucky at Google because we could work remotely very easily. You know, if we were told to leave one day to work from home, we could do that in 24 hours with very little disruption to our business. And that's just something we as a tech company, I guess, already had in place. Certainly not something we envisaged for this kind of scenario, but it was very useful to have that in place because it, it really was quite a seamless process. And I know that there are others that had a much more difficult process with that. So I think that's my first question. And then I just want to add a quick question about businesses as usual mode. And this is something that I've really put a lot of thought in because there's two streams of work here for my lawyers now. Some of them are doing business as usual and some are working on the crisis response. And I think it does impact morale and relevance. You know, the business as usual, people might be saying, but what I'm doing is not relevant in this crisis. Actually, it's the crisis response team that's relevant. But it's just so important to have the stability there because at some point we're going to be in recovery mode. And when we're in recovery mode, it's the people who are doing the business as usual that are going to be the ones that get us through recovery mode. So I, I think there's something very important as the business as usual people, if they can do business as usual, but it does add a different, I have found different levels of, of issues and problems and management for those different types of streams. So that's just one thing I want to say. The other thing I wanted to say, oh, I have these little tips actually for anyone that's interested in kind of crisis response, what the best things to do are. And I got some of this from some of our Chinese counterparts who had kind of lived through it before us and gave us some of their tips. And I've also got some of it from other sources, but I thought they were really valuable. So there's six of them. First, and this was the one that was common amongst everyone, communicate regularly and accurately and manage the challenge of doing this with incomplete facts. So you don't always need all the facts, but make sure you're communicating regularly. That's been a really important part of this. The second is make sure your decisions are being made with a multidisciplinary team. And I think, you know, I would say internally, we are so multidisciplinary at the moment. We have many functions coming together on many decisions 
every day, all the time. Address any damage that's caused as promptly and fully as you can. Protect the company. Respect individuals. And then manage communications to achieve control, credibility and succinctness. And the last one is don't leave in crisis mode. Normal business must also get done. And then I just wanted to do a very quick what are legal operations as, as usual, I guess, or what's important to legal operations at the moment. And I just got a, a few of these that I want to mention. One is be agile. So again, going back to what Craig said, agility is super important at the moment. But I think this is a lesson for us. While we're seeing it exasperated in, in these times, it's actually important all of the time. Be agile should be there all the time. We can see it more apparently now, but I think it's important equally all the time. So be agile. You know, we have also found that we are changing the type of work we're doing even. People who have worked for so long on certain legal issues are now looking at a completely different set of legal issues or certain projects that people are working on have completely changed. And now, as you say, Craig, it's not always just about the legal issues. It's also about the business. And it's, it's a very diverse range of facts we're looking at now. The second thing I would say is the legal function is really lucky and unique in that it has a bird's eye view of what's going on. And that means we can see what all the other silos are doing and we can be the glue that pulls it together. And I think that's an asset that the legal team and legal function has that's the, one of the most important things we can give back to our organisation. And not many people have that. The finance team probably has it as well. But we can look across the board and we can start to see where there are similar streams of work going on and pull them together. And we shouldn't underestimate the power of us being able to do it because time and time again, I have found that while I thought it was obvious that everyone knew we were all working on similar projects, nobody else did. So I found it's, it's never too much to speak up and say, hey, this is what's happening in this org and let's, let's work together. And then the final one is in line with what Craig said, understand the business needs. That's critical. Like if, if you understand what the business needs, then we can respond and react appropriately. And this goes back to agility, diversity. And then, Simon, coming back to what you said, innovation and creativity, this all comes back to the whole situation of diversity, agility. It's all hinging on innovation and creativity. You know, one thing that we're finding really important in this time is we've created this situation where any Googler around the world can give us ideas of what they think can help this crisis. And we're responding to any of those ideas. So everyone's just, and there's millions of ideas, as you can imagine. I mean, some obviously impossible to achieve and others may be more possible. But Google, and I'd say most of us actually here, are in a really good position to be able to try and influence how we respond to this and, you know, the way the community reacts to this. So we should be taking those ideas and doing what we can to, to mobilise them. I'll probably pause there. The one other thing I was going to add was understand the impact of technology and artificial intelligence. And, you know, normally we would talk about this in a maybe legal operations perspective and the way Craig was sort of saying you could kind of analyse your contract stream or analyse other things. But I think if you can understand your technical capabilities, you can be even more agile and do a whole lot more other things. And and I think, you know, I to the extent that we can add anything from a legal framework and knowing our data exactly as Craig said, anything we can do to contribute to the artificial intelligence or way we can respond or measure something is really important. One final, final thing, which is the exact opposite of what I just said, which is emotional intelligence. It's not always looking at the data. It's not always looking at all the other um, technology aspects. Having emotional intelligence is also a really important way to manage, especially now, but again, always, I would say, in a legal operations 
framework, but network with people, understand what their concerns are, understand what's really affecting parts of the business so you can provide better solutions. So I'll stop there. Thank you. Yeah, no, Sashana, thanks so much. I think um, definitely the point around understanding the impact of AI, machine learning and technology is a, is, a, yeah, is a big one. And we've got a focus session on that today. But just picking up on your point about understanding the business needs that essentially legal can respond to and react appropriately to, obviously that directly leads to, to value. So great point. Richard, we might pull you into the conversation. You're someone who's been a, a general counsel, partner of a law firm, board member in corporate organisations and a consultant. You've got a, a, a nice sort of broad lens. Can you share your insights in terms of you know, what it, sort of what you think it means to sort of expand the influence and uh, create more value from a legal department perspective? Sure. Thanks, Simon. So, I'll come at it slightly differently, I think, put COVID-19 to one side, not not least because I'm not leading a team in the middle of that, I'm happy to say. I'm sitting on a board of a hospital group and um, trying to help them through a very difficult period. But I guess I'd make three points about how you expand your influence and value. I think the first is to recognise that legal is a service organisation. As Craig said, it's not a, an end in itself. It's there to support the company and, and the people in it and creating that mindset within the team and having that activated consistently, I think is a really important aspect of having influence because actually the general counsel's role is all about influence in the end. You, you may sit at the executive table or, or even in the boardroom, but you're there as an advisor and you're there to support the organisation. You may have some influence directly in terms of what you can decide, but generally most of what you do is is indirect and you're only going to be as good as your ability to influence others in their decision-making and help them make good decisions or at least more good decisions than bad decisions. I think the second aspect of that is, and it's, it's a challenge, to be in lockstep with the business is critical, as Craig put it, and at the same time, you have to maintain an independence of perspective and an independence of view because you're no good to anybody if you're just telling people what they want to hear rather than what they may need to hear or indeed, you know, what they're required to hear as a matter of law. So to that extent, we have a unique role in the organisation, different from probably every other executive, I think, in the sense that we have our own professional responsibilities and we have to think independently. and and that can become quite challenging in a crisis because you get sucked into the vortex of the hurly-burly. And, and so being able to sort of stand on the edge of chaos and actually maintain that perspective is critical. And, and then I think as a broader point in terms of, you know, non-crisis management, it, it's important to think about the legal function as a business and actually think about how the function can actually add value to the company beyond just being a service provider. And I think that's principally around two things, efficiency and productivity. But I don't think just, it, it's not just about efficiency and productivity for the group, though it is, it's about efficiency and productivity for the company. And that's why increasingly, as you look at transformation projects that the legal team may initiate or have a role in, and this is obviously a key part of legal operations, you're likely to cross organisational boundaries very quickly because there's very little that you can actually give effect to from the legal department on its own. 
whether you're talking about in a retailer context, property leases or initiatives around improving quality of contracts or risk management, you're almost inevitably, as soon as you say those things, crossing into other functional areas. And therefore, being able to do that effectively and collaboratively becomes very important. Yeah, thanks, Richard. Some great points there. I think, Eric, if we can bring you in, and then we'll open up for some, some broader discussion. You're a consultant for Exigen, who's an alternative legal services provider in a market which is you know, rapidly growing. The reports are 25% year on year. It's now a 10 to $12 billion industry. And I make that point to articulate that uh, you know, ALSPs are now part of the fabric of the legal industry and you're living and breathing that and you are having conversations from a different angle in terms of helping corporate legal departments you know, face uh, you know, working out how they can expand their influence and value and so on. I'll hand over to you to give some insight. Yeah, for sure. Hi, everybody. I hope everyone's doing well. From the ALSP perspective, I think some of the things that everyone's touched on, especially with regard to to COVID-19 are really more relevant now than ever. So the right ALSP offers not just you know, efficiency and, and you know, some of those value drivers that Richard had identified, uh, but also massive opportunities to hedge risk of loss of business and, and you know, address really major business continuity concerns within the legal department. So I think the right ALSP is somebody who can kind of provide the stable work that that is absolutely needed for kind of those business as usual type of tasks while organizations and and you know our clients are reallocating their internal tasks to things like crisis management and and chaos mitigation. So, you know, in terms of of COVID, I think I'm seeing a lot of work coming through regarding things like uh, how how equipped is exigent to help us through this time and i'm actually really proud to always be able to say that that we are extremely equipped where as an organization we've handled this incredibly well so i'm really proud of that outside of covid and and you know business continuity type thoughts i think that alsps are best when they're not solely ALSPs, right? So as uh, David Holm had mentioned earlier in the first session, you know, we started as an ALSP, quickly turned into a, uh, an ALSP and tech company, and then even quicker into a data company. So if you're looking at the ALSP or any other partner working and, and helping a legal department create influence within their organization, there has to be a data component to it. Shoshana, you had said that that legal is a great unifier within an organization. And I, I agree, legal has their hand in every important aspect of an organization. I think the, the question that I would pose back to you would be, do other business units view legal as a unifier? In my experience, less than should because they don't necessarily understand the commercial benefits. They don't necessarily understand the dollars and cents associated with, you know, with legal's involvement. So for me, influence comes from a combination of all the organizational alignment type things that everybody's mentioned, in addition to quantifiable value. So that might come from, in, in a short-term incremental period, from using an ALSP to, you know, cut costs or, or working a small-scale analytics project to lower outside counsel spend. And then those small incremental value 
drivers can then fund the long-term strategic growth drivers. So these might be optimal structuring or implementation of larger technology initiatives that really make legal fully, fully ingrained in all of those other business units and and fully aligned with the commercial drivers of, of the business. I think it's a great point that Eric makes. It's almost a license to operate point, it seems to me, that part of being a good legal function is about managing the cost of the function effectively. And there's a hell of a lot you can do about that, both in terms of the cost of the internal resource, the cost of the external resource, and the balance between the two. And frankly, I think there's only one sensible way to look at the cost of function, and that is in its entirety, because whether it's the in-house team doing the work or external lawyers doing the work, hopefully they're doing it collaboratively and hopefully they're doing it towards a single objective. So really, you know, internal and external is just the total cost of function. And therefore, to be business-like in in the leadership of the function, you, you need to be managing cost. There's obviously a lot that lawyers do that adds value to the organisation in a myriad of different ways. But it is also a function that costs the organisation money and therefore trying to manage that sensibly, I think, is a ticket to the game. And Certainly, my experience at Woolies was that if you can do that well, you do free up resources that you can then go and reinvest in other things that that are hopefully even more valuable to the business in terms of the impact the function can have. Yeah, I agree with that, Richard. I think the in-house legal departments, unless they have a revenue-generating centre to them, and they are few globally, essentially a labour cost line. And it can be internal labour or it can be external labour. It doesn't matter. It's still a labour cost line. and you know, you need to use that incredibly wisely, I think, to get the permission to do things that will help you be efficient. So we, a couple of years ago, went through a, a reasonably well-publicised, at least in this forum, it feels like I've been here telling Telstra's story for the last couple of years, cost-cutting and cost-reduction exercise. It saw us took out 25% of the legal function in one hit. We did a little bit more than was required to free up a little bit of money to invest in a technology solution to run our matters. Now, that was that was ultimately to become more efficient. The dividend of that for the company must be what I'll call an enterprise efficiency. I thought, Richard, you made a sensational point about it's a fool's efficiency to say, I'll become more efficient as a legal function by not doing something and I'll just get someone else in the company to do it. That, that's not an efficiency. That's passing the buck. It's past the parcel, yeah. Exactly. And efficiency is where you... The company doesn't do something anymore, or the overall cost to the organisation is lower. Unless you do it smarter, or you, or you tech enable it, and and you know increasingly, and this is where I think legal ops gets really interesting. Actually, in about five years' time, as it becomes more mature, you're actually tech enabling business functions. It just mm. happens to start from a legal place, but you, as I said earlier, you're going to run into organisational boundaries instantaneously, and therefore that ability to get everybody enrolled in what's possible and then and then to do it efficiently is going to be a massive opportunity for legal to, to become even more involved in the business. But, you know, to the point that Eric made, I think there's an, an education of other functions that's needed and also the, the need to be seen in a business-like way has probably never been greater because if we are going to take on areas that aren't conventionally legal, like tech enabling process to, to find more efficient, simpler, more streamlined ways of doing things, then 
then we're going to have to have organisational permission. And a good insight, yeah. it is to ask ourselves, do legal teams today, do they have the skills to be able to play that role? If they don't, what do they need to acquire them? And, you know, are those, is the acquisition of those skills and the ability to influence enterprise-wide projects, whether they're about tech or something else, uh, you, you know, is that a great influence in value? Yeah, so I agree with you. I think one of the challenges is that we're often looking at disparate skill sets, right? So some of the the data and analytics work doesn't necessarily mesh particularly well with the practice of the law. And that's why before technology hit some of the, the massive advancements that it, that it really has over the last few years, legal technology, data wasn't anything that, that lawyers were really talking about. Now we can structure contract data and talk about lifeblood of an organization. The data contained in, in commercial contracts touches on every organization and uh, every business unit within an organization. And so when you're able to extract that data and then get insight into it, then you can make even better commercial decisions that are risk-based. And so one of the, the value measures that we, we haven't really spoken about yet are risk mitigation measures. And you know, all that is contained in, in portfolio management, you know, contract portfolio management. And so when you're able to kind of look and draw those conclusions, then you're, you're further influencing your organization with, uh, let's say, a more robust legal voice. Because now you're talking about something that is very real to your colleagues who are not lawyers, and you are the one who holds that that key information that helps them do their job better and helps your organization make more money. So I think that's you know that those risk mitigation and, and contract data is really kind of a an in for legal influence. Guys, that's such a great conversation. We've we've got about uh, five or so minutes uh, left. If there's any other further thoughts or or comments, I know one from me, and I'll just throw this to you as a panel. And there has been a couple of questions coming in, and there's sort of a, a couple of them are along the same theme. Yeah, you know, where do I start with overhauling my legal department and optimizing it? You know, how do I start with the approach to think about my legal function as a business? Some of those questions which have come in. Any any thoughts or comments around where to start? Well, I think if I may, I mean, I think you've got to start with a very clear view about what the function's there to do, and that's got to be aligned to the organisation's objectives and intent too. And let's face it, that's not the same in every organisation. Some legal functions have more permission to be involved in things than others. Legal departments are big and have lots of resources and some are very small and you've got only a few people, if that, trying to meet the needs. And so you've really got to, it's got to be fit for purpose and that means you've really got to understand what's achievable with the resources available to you and, and what the organisation's expectations are if you happen to be in a big organisation like Google or Telstra or Woolies, well, then chances are you'll have quite a lot of resources available to you. And, and then it becomes a question of, well, how am I going to allocate them and how can I get maximum bang for buck here? And that's where legal tech and ops comes in. It's just a function of trying to do things smarter and better. I'll add one thing about how I feel like you can be more part of the business, I guess. And then I think Craig is an excellent person to talk about how to overhaul illegal ops. I would say this, the one thing that I think is so important and lawyers don't think they have time for this, but they need to make time for this, is 
to go to the business meetings. So go to your sales team meetings. Go and hear what they're talking about. Go to the marketing meetings. Go to all of these meetings and find out as much as you can about how they think and how they do what they do and what their targets are and what their goals are, what's driving them to make the decisions decisions that they are making because that's an incredibly powerful way of bringing together legal and the rest of the business. And there's a few reasons why it's powerful. One is sales teams are amazed when at first they think, why is a lawyer here? But actually then when they realize you're there because you're curious and you want to understand, they love talking about what they do and they want to tell you what they do and they want you to understand it. So that's the first thing. The second thing is it actually helps lawyers be better at understanding why they're making decisions that they want to make on certain contractual and commercial agreements. If you can understand the pressures that they're under or the things that are driving them, it helps you understand better ways to solve maybe things that would normally be a sticking point. So I would just say from a how do you become more commercially focused or minded as a legal team, it's really important to get out and live and breathe as much as you can what the business is doing. So that's what I say. But Craig, I know you've done like amazing work with Telstra and the legal ops there. It might be good to sort of how do you start a legal ops team? I thought you'd be good to talk to that. Yeah, um, Richard, you make a good point about starting with the raison d'etre of your legal team is probably the only place to start and getting alignment with the business on what you're there to do is critical because otherwise you can bet your bottom dollar, you'll have a view about why you're there. The business will have a, view, a different view about why you're there. You'll both diverge and you'll end up sort of creating a reason for being which is not what the company wants and getting alignment on that is easier said than done. But once you do it, it's incredibly worthwhile because once you've done that, then you can figure out what should I start to measure. And that would be a good place to start, I think. A lot of legal departments, in my experience, kid themselves into believing that they are an industry performing an artisan craft that cannot be measured and cannot be simplified and it cannot be industrialised. And so much of what we do can. And once you do that, once you industrialise the the high volume, not necessarily low value, but certainly high volume and tasks that have repeatable elements to them. Once you do that, then you free up people. That's that's your gateway to productivity. To pick up on Shoshana's excellent point about emotional intelligence, you need a lot of that when you're starting to do that work because you're disturbing a lawyer's belief in why they're valuable to a company. If you start to intrude on an area that is, is theirs for many years, it just happens to be a highly repeatable area. You've got to be quite in tune with the emotional impact that's going to have on that person. So when you do that, you've got to do it with care. I would start with aligning with the company about why you matter to them, figuring out what you should measure to run yourself, figuring out what they would like you to measure as well, and then believing that it can be measured. And it doesn't need fancy tools. It just needs to be measured. And don't let, you know, perfect be the enemy of good when you start to measure stuff. Just start measuring. If you don't start, you're stuffed. You've got to start. And the other point I'd make is there is legal tech and legal ops is an emerging and maturing field, but there are some dimensions of tech that are pretty mature now. They're pretty low cost. They're pretty easy to install. I caught the end of the last session where there was discussion about NDAs. Now, why a legal team today would be looking at an NDA, quite frankly, is beyond me. And why we have ever looked at them is, you know, questionable. But let's say they are really important to you. The amount of tools out there that can automate those that 
you don't need much skill to put in. They are abundant. They're pretty cheap. They, they are not the thing that a relatively expensive resource, which is what a lawyer is to a company, should be doing. So just to pick one place to start. Sorry, long answers. on it. No, that's okay. Yeah. And we're out of time. Just a final comment from, from Eric before we wrap up and move into our next machine learning and AI session. Yeah, so I agree with what everyone said. I think the best first place to start for someone who's looking to overhaul their legal department is to start asking themselves questions. Not everybody knows or, or can pinpoint what needs to change within their legal department. So starting with making a list of questions about what you or your organization want to answer, that will inform kind of the tack that you need to take. Not every organization is the same. So sometimes uh, the, the big questions are task allocation or resource allocation. Do we have the right number of lawyers, paralegal support staff, et cetera? Other times it's how do we mitigate the massive risk of revenue leakage in our contracting portfolio? Because we, <laughs> we're spending way too much money or we're losing way too much money. And so I think just starting with the questions and making that list and then finding the right resource to help you from a data perspective and ALSP or really anybody else, even within your organization, source the knowledge that, that you might not have and, and get those answers. Yeah, guys, look, we're going to have to leave it there. We're out of time, but I just really want to sincerely thank you all. That's been a, a fantastic conversation, really meaningful, and really appreciate all of your, your time and your contribution. We're going to wrap that up and conclude this session, and we're going to move into a next door into the other virtual room into our AI machine learning session. So I'll see some of you there. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Exigent Legal Tech Mashup Podcast. For more information, visit exigent-group.com. Subscribe to stay up to date with all future episodes.